today's reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 to 29, and it can be found at the bottom of page 1012. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. A crowd always gathers when the church fails. Um, It might be money, sex or power, but whenever the church fails, there will be those who will come and look and see what's going on. Maybe we've been a victim of uh, such failure in the church in the past, and we know something about being confused and wounded and perhaps broken as a result of the church's failure. And here, um, the church fails. A man who brings a need to the disciples who were down below in the valley um, when Jesus and three of the disciples were up on the mountain. Whenever the church fails, a crowd will gather, and here a crowd does gather. Now, we know that um, being on church, in church on Sunday and, and waking up on Monday can be a very different experience. And for the three disciples who were with Jesus, the astonishing experience of being on a mountainside with Jesus and seeing him resplendent with light and glory was a life-changing experience, something etched in their memory forever. And yet they, they come down into the rough and tumble of human life. And of course, it's always important for us when we, we look at God's word together to reflect upon the reality that there is a world out there with uh, many concerns, many wounds and difficulties. And we must always be aware that we go out into that world. And probably this morning, um, we, we don't need that reminder quite so clearly. Uh, we, we've, we've lived through this week with lots of news 
coming from Ukraine. And perhaps we have relatives or friends in the Ukraine or people that we've prayed for over the years. And that chilling line in, 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 on the radio this week, there is war in Europe. And that's not the news that, that people uh, either expected or, or wanted. A friend of mine, Paul Sergei, he, he's a former Langham scholar. He's the, the head of the Realist Seminary in Kiev, or Kiev as we, we, we've come to know it. Um, and he wrote a, a letter this week and spoke about his memories of the smiles of those who had visited him in the past, those who'd come to, to teach in his city and seminary. And he also spoke about the smile of one of the young men in his church, a dentist, a dentist who um, has got the job of putting a smile on people's faces. But now he has taken a rifle, he's enlisted in the army, and for a moment anyway, we trust, not, not any longer than that, he has the task of seeking to defend his country and maybe harm people rather than help people. It can seem like too much to experience a world in need. Where do you, where do you begin and where do you end? Prayer letters come to us, news items come to us, appeals come to us. We could, we could give countless amounts of money. We could give countless amounts of hours to meet human need. Feed the hungry, help the sick, comfort those who are dying. Seek to assist those in challenging circumstances. Seek to bring reconciliation where there is deep division. Jesus is always a magnet to those who are in need. That was true in the first century, and it's true in the 21st century. Even when human beings ask questions about the church, are skeptical about the church, and maybe are hostile towards the church, it's interesting that the ratings that Jesus has are always much higher. Jesus is a magnet for those who are in need. We read that there in verse 15. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. They were awestruck, and they ran to greet him. Now, if you have read the Gospels, you'll know that in Gospel stories, usually the wonder comes at the end. Usually people are awestruck after Jesus has done something. At this point, Jesus has done nothing. He's just walked down the mountain. But they are awestruck. Some suggest that like Moses, when he came down the mountain in the Old Testament, he still had something of the afterglow of glory that was witnessed by the disciples on the mountain. And the reason why the crowds were awestruck was that Jesus was visibly very different. This was uh, Jesus who still had this afterglow of glory and they ran to him in order to see him and be with him. And there is in Jesus Christ a unique glory, a unique attractiveness which draws human beings to him. People have a recognition that they need Jesus. And here was a crowd 
who's witnessed the failure of the nine disciples, who are aware of of a deep human need in their circle, and they run to Jesus. They see the attraction of Jesus. When the church fails, people are left in need. If the church of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, cannot bring light into the darkness, if the church of Jesus Christ, in possession of the truth, cannot bring to people a truth that sets them free, if the church of Jesus Christ, connected to the Lord of love, cannot show the love of God that drives away all fear, where can people go? Where can people turn if they find a rebuff, a cold shoulder, a lack of welcome, an ineffectiveness within the church? Where can they go? To whom can they turn? When the church fails, people are left in need. And that's the heart of this particular story, isn't it? What are you arguing about, Jesus says? A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him into the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, they'd done these things before. In chapter 6, we're told they were sent out on a mission. And part of their mission was to drive out evil spirits. They'd done this job before. It's not as though they were meeting something that was unprecedented. That word that became so famous during the two years of COVID. It's not as though they were dealing with something unprecedented and unforeseen. They had done this before. But it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That Christians and churches can forget what they need to do in a crisis. They've prayed before and they've seen God at work. They've preached the gospel before and seen people saved. They've reached out a hand of care and they've seen people helped. They know how to do it, but they've forgotten how to do it. They've forgotten what makes it work. The church has all it needs to know and all it needs to possess to transform the whole world. If we only remember who we are. And remember whose we are. I brought him to your disciples and they could not help him. Woody Allen, the filmmaker, said, If I believed in God, I would have to come to the conclusion that he is an underachiever. And maybe when people look at the church occasionally... They think they're underachievers. They represent Jesus Christ. I expect a little more from them. But when I come to them, I find that they could not help. Now, we mustn't beat ourselves up. Human beings are inadequate. There is inadequacy about the church. And it reminds us of something really very important. It is God's work and not ours. We don't engage in magic. We don't click our fingers and suddenly, case or everything is right. 
It is God's work. We're engaged in God's work. God changes people. God opens people's minds and hearts. We can't do that. It is ultimately God who helps people, even if we're the hand that he uses as his instrument of help in our world. At the heart of this particular incident was a man who wanted to fix his boy. A man with a boy who, as we've read, had been robbed of so much of his freedom to express himself through speech and to listen to the words and the the sounds around him. Someone who had been robbed of his freedom to control his body. And we're reminded, aren't we, that the, the darkness of our world and the darkness of evil comes to steal that which is wholesome and healthy and good. The evil one is a thief. He wants to steal that which is the flourishing life of human beings and the flourishing life of our world. We see it in people in need and loss. We see it in a country like Ukraine being torn apart by folly and and evil. I had a friend and he said that my, my daughters once believed in the infallibility of their father and Bostic. Some of you might remember Bostic. Um, a a, a kind of glue. They once believed in the infallibility of their father and Bostic. As they've got older, they realize that their dad is far from being infallible. Daughters very soon remind you of that. And they realize that not everything in life can be fixed by glue. But dads, dads want to fix the lives of their children. It breaks their heart to see them broken. It breaks their heart to see them blighted in their lives. They'll do everything they can in order to fix this. But he's not able. And the nine disciples are not able to. Helpless. Helpless. Maybe you feel helpless today. In your life, in your economic situation, in your work, in your family, in your prayers. Maybe you just don't know how to pray or what to pray in your life or in the international sphere. Jesus looks at the the crowd and there in verse 19 he says, Oh unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. There's pain in the heart of Jesus. We see it, don't we, in the the book of Revelation when he writes to the seven churches. The pain that he feels when the church does not connect by faith with what he's saying. Perhaps he's speaking to the crowds. Perhaps he's speaking to the man. Perhaps he's also speaking to the disciples. Because even with those who Our followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it seems as though sometimes our faith is like an electrical appliance with an intermittent fault that flickers on and off and on and off, strong and weak, strong and weak. We're not always solid, we're not always consistent, we're not always steady in our confidence 
in the living God. Sometimes it can just seem as though it's all unraveling. Could it be worse than this situation? Again, there in verse 20, there's a a repetition of what happens to to this boy. At that very moment when the boy is brought, immediately a boy is um, thrown into a convulsion. And Jesus asks the father, how long, how long has this happened? From childhood, he says. It's often thrown him into the fire. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. We all stand in need of help, don't we? We all stand in, help, in need of help every moment of every day. Some of us realize that. Some of us are oblivious of that until something beats on our door that strips away our self-confidence and shows us that we're simply not in control of our life, our circumstances, or our destiny. Some people live life with imagined self-reliance. But we face a crisis like Ukraine. We face um, a war there with, with all its threatening possibilities. And we realize that we are helpless, helpless in the face of those things. And we need to cry for help. And the man recognized he couldn't fix his son and he prays, he seeks help. Now, probably um, in, in scripture, the, the simplest and most famous prayer is help. It is simple, isn't it? We've all said it from time to time, maybe as we've been in trouble in a swimming pool or um, in a boat on the sea or, or, or trying to do our homework or trying to deal with a collapsing business. We've all said help. Help to our friends, our family. Help to God. It is the most simple, the most basic prayer. When we reach rock bottom, that's what we'll cry. Help us. Someone has said that man's extremity, human's extremity, is God's opportunity. As we recognize the depth of our vulnerability, we realize how dependent we are on God. That point where other helpers have failed, where our foundations are shaken, where our resources are spent, we realize we need to come and ask for help. Of course, that's what happens when the person becomes a Christian. Paul writes to the Roman Christians... When we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? To realize that we have no bargaining chips. We have no moral capital in order for us to be in the favor of God. But we have one who has been given for us, Jesus Christ, in our helplessness, in our lack of strength. And he has done what we cannot do. He has died for us that we might be forgiven, that we might be made whole. Think about that man's if. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can. Now sometimes, I don't know if it's your experience in prayer, um, but it is mine. 
I, I do wonder as I pray, God, can you do something about the situation? It's beyond me. It's beyond my wit and wisdom. It's beyond my power and resources. Can you do something about this? If you can. Now, Jesus always sees the grain of faith in those who pray. It might be tiny. It might be like the woman that we read of in Mark chapter 5 who touches the edge of Jesus' garment in a crowd. Just, just reaches out, kind of flies a kite, just hoping that, that maybe she might connect. And she does. She connects with power because Jesus detects the faintest grain of faith. Like Paul writes again to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, we, we don't know what we should, should pray, uh, but sometimes we pray with, um, with groans that are too deep for words. Yet the Holy Spirit comes and he interprets those words and brings them before the Father and turns them into prayer. He translates them into prayer. We, we groan with unarticulate words, but he, he turns those groans into requests before the Father, if you can, if you can. I wonder how Jesus said this. I think he was probably gentle. I don't think it was a case of, if you can. I don't think he was wounded by the word. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. You see, Jesus doesn't break the bruised reed he doesn't snuff out the smoldering wick. He detects us in the weakness of our faith. It's not the strength of our faith, but the faith in his strength that makes the difference as we pray. That's the decisive thing. John Calvin said this, It's not the Lord's fault if a great abundance of blessings does not flow from, us, from him to us. But it must be imputed to the narrowness of faith, that it only comes drop by drop. Sometimes, indeed, we do not feel even a drop. Can it be true sometimes? We keep knocking, and seemingly the door is still closed. Keep seeking, but we're not finding. Keep asking. If you can. Everything is possible to those who believe. All things are possible to those who believe. Someone has put it like this. If there are no ifs among believers, anything is possible. No ifs amongst believers, anything is possible. And of course, that's the basis of our praying, isn't it? And then we have this very famous prayer, verse 24, a very useful prayer for us as we think about our praying, about our lives, about our world, about Ukraine at this time. There in verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now I would suggest that most of us as believers park our bus between those two phrases. We park the bus of our life and our prayers between those two phrases. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. It's not as though it's um, 
a journey. We, we start at number one and we arrive at number two. Um, it seems as though both those things jostle within us as we pray. I do believe and, and trembling, I pray, help me to overcome my unbelief. Someone has said that um, our faith is not a secure possession. It's not a secure possession because, as I said earlier, our faith can so often be like an electrical appliance with an intermittent fault. Faith and doubt, faith and uncertainty, faith and questions, they jostle together in our lives. And we need to overcome our doubts and overcome our reluctance to believe. We need to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and seek him in our circumstances. I do believe. Help my unbelief. We're caught in between. We're caught in the shadow land of confident belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and his power to do anything and trembling doubt that wonders whether Jesus will do anything for us. Have you stood between those phrases? Maybe you're standing between those two phrases now, praying for a loved one, praying for someone's health, praying for our nation, praying for our world, praying for Ukraine. I do believe. Please help me overcome my unbelief. True faith, it's been said, is an unconditional openness to God. But that unconditional openness to God needs to be fed and nourished and strengthened by the God who can strengthen our faith as he shows us his greatness. The disciples were unable. The church fails. Not because there's a limitation in the power of Christ, but because from time to time there is a limitation in our faith. There is a limitation in our prayers. There's a limitation in the boldness of our actions. Jesus wants to draw us closer to himself, that our faith might be strengthened, that we might be established in confidence in who he is and what he can do in our world. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus reaches out to the boy, this impossible situation, this spectre of failure, and Jesus reaches out to the boy. Uh, when Jesus, verse 25, saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We believe that. We believe that. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Literally, he raised him up and he arose. You see, here we're told, aren't we, that in this story, death does not have the last word. This boy whose life was blighted by this evil presence looks as though in this power encounter between Jesus and this evil spirit, 
he has been killed in the encounter, like something out of a Harry Potter duel, left lifeless on the floor. But Jesus raises him up and lifts him up that he might stand. Just as Jesus said to those around Jairus' daughter, she's not dead. She's not dead. And raised her up. So this boy, he's not a corpse. Death does not have the last word in the situation, but life does. And of course, that's, that's always the case, isn't it? That's the case in the gospel story. That's the case in the history of our world. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10 that Jesus has disarmed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus says, I am the living one and I live forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus ministers life when the evil one would want to minister death. Jesus ministers flourishing where the evil one will want to snatch away all those things that benefit life and cause it to flourish. Jesus says, when the disciples ask him, why couldn't we do it? This kind comes out only by prayer. There's only one person in this story that prays. The person who prays is the Father. It's not a particularly articulate prayer. It's not a long or extensive prayer. It's very simple. Help. I do believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. Now, in many circumstances, we don't know what God is going to do. We don't know what Jesus is going to do. But we do know that he can do all things. He can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And he frequently does. You know, after this uh, particular reading, Jesus is going to give the second of his announcements about his death. And at this stage, the disciples found it very difficult to understand that Jesus needed to die and he needed to suffer upon the cross and then be raised again. Tim Keller says about that, that um, they didn't see how weak and proud they were. They underestimated the power of evil in the world and in themselves. The cross says to us that evil is so malevolent, evil is so powerful that it takes the crushing of the eternal Son of God to reverse the wheels of death and evil and destruction so that the, the wheels of death and destruction are turned in order that life might be released. It's not a simple thing for the darkness to be pushed back. It's not a simple thing for those things that blight our lives to be overcome. It takes the very life of the creator given in death 
to do that. It's true to say, isn't it, that all of our prayers have something of the blood of Christ about them. We come in the name of Jesus. We come in the name of the overcoming, dying, crucified Jesus. The one who says it is finished. And we pray, Lord, the one who has overcome evil, death, and Satan, our sin upon the cross. Please, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief that you might do something in this situation by your grace and kindness. Last week, in the sermon on Psalm 46, on Radio 4, sermon from Nottingham, Cornerstone, Nottingham, someone used this line, that by faith we come to one who dwarfs our fears. By faith we come to one who dwarfs our fears. And of course that's right, isn't it? It's right. Corrie ten Boom, the uh, young woman who grew up in Amsterdam in a home where her father sheltered Jews from the the Nazi persecution, uh, wrote this. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. And nothing is too small for his love. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing too big and nothing too small in your everyday suburban life that is too small for his love. That encourages us to pray, doesn't it? It gives us a warrant to pray. Help, I believe. Help my unbelief. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's true for a church seeking a new vicar. It's true for a a world praying for a country that's being broken. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you this morning that we have Jesus as our Saviour, Lord and friend. We thank you that the one who overcame at the cross is able to overcome our fears. We thank you that the the one who helped this man in this story with his pressing need is able to help us in our need. We come with boldness to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Oh Lord, you know what's going on in our hearts this morning. You know the the fears and uncertainties and questions that we have, maybe about the church here or our family, our business, perhaps for friends in Ukraine or surrounding countries, or the implications economically of a conflict that goes on for some time, wondering how we can afford to put uh, fuel on our petrol tank 
or to pay for our rising energy bills and still feed our families. Lord, we come to you and thank you that you are our helper. Help us with this man and the story to say, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.